Father, I'm, I'm grateful to you for uh, being who you are. I'm grateful to you for being a God who cares about us, who draws near to us, despite what we're like at times you never give up on us I'm grateful Lord that you uh, are patient with us and that you uh, have given us your word so I ask that you would uh, oversee this time that you would rule and reign in this room while we gather and talk I pray that you would by your Holy Spirit speak to and through each of us and Lord, that we would leave um, having drawn closer to you and, and uh, seen more of what you're like. So we just commit ourselves to you and this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read you a quote and have you tell me who you think this is. So now, from this mad passion which made me take art for an idol and a king... I have learned the burden of air that it bore. Sorry, I'm out of breath. I ran down the stairs and up. Took care of the door while I was at it. And what misfortune springs from man's desire. The world's frivolities have robbed me of the time that I was given for reflecting upon God. I'll read it one more time. Think about who it might be. It's somebody that you know. So now from this mad passion which made me take art for an idol and a king. I have learned the burden of error that it bore, and what misfortune springs from man's desire. The world's frivolities have robbed me of the time that I was given for reflecting upon God. Any guesses? Famous painter. Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel all those unbelievable works of art there right incredible artistic renditions of biblical scenes you know and just this you, have, you, have you ever been to the to, to Rome the Vatican or anything mm-hmm. yeah so did you go and walk I, in the we Vatican just went in like September okay so, yeah yeah, amazing. <laughs> amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's like overwhelming. It's everything's so big and detailed, and yeah, it's amazing. And you hear about how Michelangelo painted mm-hmm. some of these things, like the Sistine yeah. Chapel, how long it took, hanging upside down, you know. Years. And yet, this is what he says after that's all over. Mm-hmm. That art was an idol, and it robbed him, and the world's frivolities robbed him of what was really important. <laughs> Uh, which he says, reflecting upon God. Now, I think it's more than that, <laughs> okay? It's more than just reflecting upon God. It's connecting with God. It's, it's corresponding. It's having a relationship and a communication with God. But I think that's what he was getting at. You just get that sense from that quote, that he hungered to have this communion, relationship with God that he somehow missed. And yet, you know, everybody knows Michelangelo and they immediately, you know, think of him and connect him with these unbelievable works of art in the name of God, in the name of religion and Christianity. Well, what we want to talk about here really are 
the aspects of the Word of God and most people think when you say the Word of God they think about this book right okay the, which we'll say is the written word another word of God which is the living word and we want to talk about both of those and especially today the living word of God I grew up believing that whenever you thought or talked about the word of God it, had, it was this only and that there wasn't any other revelation or communication you know from God apart from what was already in the written word of God now, I believe that this book is inspired, divine, inerrant in the original scriptures. You know, absolutely the message that God has given us. But when you read that book, you discover that there's a living word of God also. And I wasn't really taught too much about that growing up and didn't really understand what my connection was, what my relationship was with the living word of God. I knew what my connection was with the written word. I was supposed to study it, memorize it, learn it, obey it kind of thing. A lot more legalistic view really of the written word of God, but I had almost no equipping in how to live my life in light of the living word of God. Let's take a look at, at some passages about that. So somebody look up John 1.1. 1, 1. Somebody look up <coughs> Revelation 19, 11 through 13. And then somebody look up 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Whoever's got the 2 Timothy passage, why don't you read that when you get to it? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Uh huh. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay. So, the written word, right? Very important, and we're going to talk a lot about the written word today. But that passage in Timothy tells us that this is the inspired word of God to us. Okay, who's got the John 1-1 one, one passage? I have it. Okay. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God Himself. Okay, and we know who that was, right? Christ. But what's he, how's He referred to? The Word, right? He's called the Word of God. Well, He's not this. He's something different than this. Okay, Revelation 19... 11 through 13, who's got that one? Yeah. I saw heaven standing open, and there was before me a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. There's a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Okay, and who's that? Christ, right? Yeah. And his name is the Word of God. So he is referred to many times in Scripture as the Word. So the living Word, what are those passages, John 1, 1, 
Revelation. Not, was it 17? Uh, 19. 11. So, what I was missing in my relationship with God as a believer for many, many years was was the understanding of, of that, of what is the living word? Who, how is Jesus as the word of God uh, imparting to me? Because that's what the word is, right? The word is something that you speak, that comes out of you, that reveals you, right? That's the word. It's not just information. It's not, you know, it's not just facts. The word is a revelation from the person who's giving the word. In this case, God the Father, right, is giving revelation through the word. He's doing it both through the written word and through Jesus, the living word. And so as believers, we're called into fellowship and relationship with the living God and that means interaction with him as the Word of God. So um, I realized as a young adult, we were, I had just gotten married. We were attending a church that was focused a lot on this and not very much on this. Um, and, but there was a hunger in both Pamela and myself for this, for for understanding what it meant to really walk in intimacy and relationship with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you can think of as the expression of the Word, right? It's, it's the vehicle by which the Word interacts with us. The Word comes from God, and then it, it interacts with us by means of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who lives in us. So the Holy Spirit gives interpretation and understanding and insight into how to process this Word of God in our lives. So we were hungry for what this meant. We felt like and knew that the Christian life experience that we were having wasn't all that there was, wasn't all that we were called to as believers. And that was about the time really we started attending Grace. And um, and of course, as you know, being at Grace, there's a balance, right? There's teaching of both of these things that, that were, were called to more than just the, the memorization and study and informational understanding, sort of pack in the, the scriptures into your head. It's, it's live out your Christian life in your heart with your entire life in an intimacy relationship walking with Jesus. So that's what we began to really hunger for and as we came to Grace got better teaching on and thanks to the, the teaching that uh, uh, that Gary was giving and the elders were giving um, Pamela and I really began to experience more and more of what it means to really walk in intimacy with Jesus and so this was a new concept in my head that you could commune with the God of the universe because up to that point my understanding of people who said they heard from God, you know, and communed with God, were that they were probably a little nutty and suspect. And who knows what they might, you know, really be thinking. And so I was very skeptical of that whole concept that you could hear God 
and God could speak to you. To me, if God spoke to you, it was because you read a passage. And that was God's word to you. So the Lord began to really work in our lives and show us better understanding of actually what is taught in this word. If you read this word, you understand that God does want to speak to you. It's all through there. All through scriptures that God wants to interact with us and commune with us and have a relationship with us where we talk with him. We tell him things. He tells us things. So I began to hunger for that and experience some of that. And the problem was what I felt like God was telling me to do at that time was was radical, uh, which was to, to quit my job. So uh, that didn't seem right to me. <laughs> uh, and yet, more and more, over and over, in my quiet times with the Lord, and just in my daily life of trying to understand what it means to have a daily, ongoing, constant communion with God, there was this, I can't, I don't know how to describe it, but this sense that God was speaking to me and saying, I want you to leave where you're working. And so, um, this was in the year, this was in 1991, through the summer of 1991 and into the fall. Um, so, I, it finally got to the point where, I'm sorry, 90, 92. I told my wife one day, I really believe God has spoken to me and said, quit your job, don't look for another job, just seek my face. Felt like there were three messages God had given me over that length of time of several months of just in my quiet time and, and seeking Him. Quit your job, don't look for another job, seek my face. So I told Pamela, I think that's what I'm supposed to do. If I'm going to be obedient, you know, then what's the point of saying I heard God speak, but then I'm not going to obey it, right? Okay, Pamela said, well, he didn't tell me that. <laughs> um, and so we wrestled a little bit with that whole thing, right? I mean, hasn't God called me to be the provider of my family? Isn't that in here somewhere? Yeah. So does that mean that that message then is not from God? Um, but it wouldn't go away, and the more I pressed into the Lord, the more I felt like the louder His message to me got. So um, in November of 92, I said, I need to quit. So I was working at a really good job. It was the best job I'd ever had. I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life, which was another reason why I was kind of like going... Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, and uh, <clears throat> in fact, about a year before that, I had left a job that I'd been in for about 13 years. And because of, of a merger in that organization, they were trying to downsize. So they were giving these packages to people to leave, you know, encouraging them to leave. So I just, and then right about the time they, they were giving these offers to people that had tenure, or you know, longevity there, seniority, my boss, who had been shown the door through the merger, started as the president of another company in Dallas, called me up and said, I want you to come work for me. And I'll get pay you this and you'll be doing this. And it was more money than I had ever made. 
It was a great position. It was working for my old boss, which we got along really well. And here, if I left right now, this company was going to pay me to leave a check in the amount that I'd never seen before. So that was all, that was a year ago. So I did that, and so I've been working for my boss in this new job. So here I was thinking, now I've got to go to my boss who, who recruited me less than a year ago and tell him I quit. Why? Well, <laughs> so uh, I told Pamela finally that in November I need to quit. So I went into my boss and said, I've got to quit. Why? Well, and then I didn't tell him. I didn't have the guts to say, you know, God told me to quit. And he knew I was a believer. It wasn't an issue of, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer and I, you know, I follow the Lord. He knew that I was a believer. He was not a believer. Um, and I had a great opportunity to tell him about a relationship with God that he could have, right? But I told him another reason, which was convenient, and it wasn't a lie. It just wasn't the whole truth, right? I said, well, my mother has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and she's, she doesn't have much time left, and I want to be able to have more time. She lived, my parents lived in Florida, and I want to be able to go to Florida and spend time with my mom because she, she's, she's not going to be around much longer. Okay. Well, can you stay until we find a replacement for you, and you can train them, that your replacement? Okay, I'll do that. So that was November, so it took until... January for us to find a replacement for me and for me to train that person um, and then I could leave and I guess it was at towards the end of January or maybe early February of 93 when um, I was pretty much finished with that whole process of training and all this time you know uh, Pamela and I are having this thinking through all this going you sure you heard from God? <laughs> and what are you supposed to do? Quit. Don't look for a job. Seek the Lord. Okay. And I, I have to tell you that this was a real test for Pamela, too. And she had to walk in faith, right, believing that her husband had heard from God and was this was going to impact her life, too. Um, and she she manages the, the money in our in our home because she's a lot better at that. And, of course, that money that had we had received a year ago, right? That big check of the amount I'd never ever seen before. I wanted to spend. <laughs> I'd already picked out a car. And she, and this is long before any of this happened, and she kept saying, I don't think we should spend that money. I think we just need to sit on it. There's some reason for this money. So she said, no, let's not get a car, let's not do this, let's just, so we waited. Well, then we realized, right, a year later we realized why that money had been given that, that was probably going to be needed for us to live on while whatever God was doing with me was was done. So so we, we had the, the resources for me to do what God told me to do. Um, and thanks to the, the wise counsel of my wife, thanks to her faithfulness to be able to, to say, well, I haven't heard this from God, but I'm going to trust you that this is what, what we're supposed to do, what you're supposed to do. So uh, the fe early February, I was pretty much finished training um, my replacement, and actually the last week of my employment, I remember 
that it was, I, I was finishing out my week. Friday was my last day. That week, I think it was Tuesday, I got a call at the office from my dad, and he said, your mom's just had some strokes, and it looks like she doesn't have much time. You really need to come to Florida. And I was like, well, guess what? I'm out of here the end of this week. I've got nothing. I hadn't even told my dad that I'd quit my job. And when I did, my dad was like, why did you do that? <laughs> he, he had no understanding of what in the world I was doing. Now, my dad is a missionary, a pastor, strong follower of Jesus, loves the Lord, a hero, you know, to me, of a, a man, a, a spiritual man. But he didn't understand this idea that, you know, God is going to speak to you and give you specific directions about things. So I didn't have the courage to tell, really tell my dad much about what was going on. And when I did, you know, he was not... He, he, didn't, he didn't tell me I was, you know, way out in left field, but, but he was, he kept asking questions like, how are you going to provide for your family? When are you going to start looking for work? What kind of work are you going to do? You know, it was all those kinds of things, which is kind of like, I'm not sure what you are doing, son. <laughs> but it was clear that God's timing was, was in place, right? Because now we were free to, to take our our three kids and drive to Florida and stay there as long as we wanted to and spend that, that those last weeks with my mom. So that's what we did. And uh, she passed away in, in March. And I was able to just stay on, you know, and help my dad with things and take care of stuff and, and spend time with him. And uh, eventually we came back to Texas. And I spent my days um, in the in the written word and in communion with the living word and I began the process of really learning what it meant to to really quiet myself be still meditate seek the Lord's face what does it mean to hear his voice how can I have this communing day-by-day -day walking relationship with God so God gave me a season of time that I could focus on my heart's desire, which was to seek Him, to do do those things that He told me. So I, at first, I didn't look for a job, and I spent my days seeking the Lord. So I would go in the bedroom, shut the door, get out the Word, and spend the day in the Word. And uh, Pamela was homeschooling our kids, so she was at home with the kids. So she was busy with all that. She was also part of this process, learning. We would talk about what God was showing to me. Uh, you know, bounce things off of her. She she was part of this, but she didn't have the freedom that I, that I did to just delve into and spend hour after hour in in God's Word. Now I'm I did not spend eight hours every day, seven days a week. I did it in pieces, and different days looked different. And I also did lots of other stuff around the house. You know, <laughs> it wasn't like I just completely dropped life. Um, but it was a wonderful season of time to do that. And after a couple of months, um, I did exactly what Peter did when Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. Because at the beginning of that time, I felt like that's what I was doing, right? I was walking on the water. It was great. I had my eyes on the Lord, and, and we were tight, you know, and I was learning all kinds of things. 
And then over time I began to think about the waves, <laughs> right? And of course, you know, the resources are going down, bank accounts going down, constant questions from my dad. When are you going to start, you know, thinking about a job? Uh, just questions from people who didn't really understand everything that was going on. And I began to think myself, you know, what am I going to do? So I started looking for work. So I, I disobeyed and got out my resume, dusted it off, updated it, started sending it out, started looking for work. I was still spending time with the Lord, but I was also looking for work. And I was justifying it, you know. Well, I've, I've obeyed you, Lord. You know, I've done that. You didn't say how long, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but what was the last thing he told me, that third thing? I'll show you what I have for you. Quit your job, don't look for work, and I'll show you what I have for you. Well, I wasn't waiting for him to show me. I was going to make it happen. So uh, I lined up some interviews, got got one that looked pretty promising, went on it, and um, they wanted to make me an offer, but they wanted to meet with Pamela first because it would involve some travel at the beginning. They wanted to make sure that both husband and wife were on board with the time that you're away for training and all the, this type of thing. So we both went to the second interview, listened to what they had to say, drove home that night. This was a this was in June. Um, and uh, it was like I think a Wednesday or a Thursday. We came home we came home that day after that second interview and said, What do you think? You know, is this is maybe this is the answer. Maybe this is what God said, you know, I'll show you what I have for you because this looked like a, a really good opportunity. We both decided that we wanted to pray about it and seek the Lord independently and then kind of compare notes and say, okay, did the Lord, what, what do you feel like the Lord said to you? What do you feel like the Lord said to you? If it's the same, then we felt like that would be confirmation that the Lord was speaking to us about what to do about this job. So we actually spent all night separately in prayer and the next morning talked to each other, and both of us said, no, <laughs> not supposed to take this job. Yeah, that's what I, I don't have any peace about it. I don't get, get any sense that this is, every time I prayed about it, I just felt like the Lord was saying no. Okay, so that was on Thursday, I guess. So I called the guy up I'd been interviewing with and, and, and took my name out of, out of the running. And... Uh, uh, I forgot one important piece. That Sunday, the Sunday before that, Gary was a Father's Day. And Gary spoke a message at church on Father's Day that I couldn't even tell you exactly what he said, but I know that what he spoke was extremely convicting to me. And God spoke to me in that message and, and showed me my sin of what I'd been doing. And so that Sunday afternoon, I came home, I told Pamela, I said, you know, I have, I have done wrong by looking for work. I have not been obeying God. I have not been trusting Him. I've, I need to repent of that. And, and so I took all of my papers that I was working on with resumes and job applications and correspondence, and I put it all in a folder and I stuck it in, in the drawer and shut the drawer and went back in the bedroom, got out my Bible, got on my knees, and began to seek the Lord, repented of my sin. That was on Sunday. So on Wednesday, I got the call from this company that I already contacted prior. 
wanting an interview. Well, Sunday afternoon, after I'd repented, the Lord spoke to me again. In that Sunday afternoon time with him, he spoke to me very clearly, just like he had the previous summer, and said, by the end of the week, I'm going to show you what I have for you. So I came out of the bedroom, went to Pamela and said, I feel like the Lord has clearly spoken to me in another message that I need to tell you and let's pray about. And it is, uh, by the end of the week, I'm going to show you what I have for you. Oh, okay. So then, Tuesday or Wednesday, I get this call from this company, you know, wanting this interview. So that's why we were thinking, you know, maybe this is what God is doing, that he's... He's, you know, here they are contacting me because I had put everything away. I hadn't talked to any more companies, followed up on anything. So they call me Wednesday. We do the interview. Then Pamela and I go to the interview. So then we pray all that night, Wednesday night or Thursday night, whatever night it was. Anyway, the next morning we realize no. So I called them up and I went back in the bedroom and got out my Bible and prayed again to the Lord and sought his face. Um, and I'm also thinking, I hope I just didn't miss what you know the Lord was trying to do, provide this job for me, and I just turned it down. But we really felt like the Lord was cont- continuing to call us to just faithfully wait on Him and trust Him that His Word is true. So that was like Thursday or Friday, and then on Saturday, uh, I got a phone call from Gary. And Gary didn't know any of the details. He didn't even know about the message that he preached on Sunday that brought me to repentance. So Saturday, Gary calls me and says, well, uh, we, the elders and I have been talking, and, and we want to add staff at Grace, and we want you to come on full-time as a missions pastor at Grace Community. Would you be willing to do that? And I was like, well, Gary, it's interesting timing for you to call <laughs> me at the end of the week. <laughs> So I met with him the next week, and of course I told him the whole story. He, he did, didn't know anything about what was going on. He knew that I had been seeking the Lord. He knew that I would quit and that I was seeking the Lord, but he didn't know the specific words, especially the one that God gave me Sunday, saying, by the end of the week, I'll show you what I have for you. So it was a, a real time of faith building for us to realize that we can hear from God, we can trust his word, and if we'll be obedient, you know, even when we mess up, God doesn't give up on us. Right, and he still is willing to work with us and to draw us along in our relationship with him. So, of course, Gary met with me the next week. We talked about what it would mean for me to come on staff at Grace, and I did that, but I didn't start until September, uh, which was when the transition needed to take place with the guy that was being called to go to another city, and so we wanted to replace him, so the elders brought me on board starting in September. So on September of 93, I started full-time at Grace, and we spent the last dime of the money that God had provided. Just as we budgeted it out, it lasted until September when I started working at Grace. So we, again, saw the perfect provision of the Lord to provide just what we needed, not more, not less, to sustain us. You know, for the time that God knew I was going to need to have the freedom to just focus on my walk with Him. So, that's my story in terms of sort of the journey that I've been on, seeking the Lord and walking with intimacy, and why this topic, the devotional life, is a passion of mine that we as believers 
can learn what it means and practice what it means to walk in a daily communing you know relationship with God because I know it's possible and there's you know that's been many years ago and I haven't always walked that way my my spiritual life hasn't been consistently like this it's kind of like this okay there's seasons when I'm good at setting apart and seeking God and hearing his voice and obeying him and there's seasons when I'm not so good at it but the Lord is faithful and doesn't give up on me and just like that time when I sunk you know I mean I didn't tell my boss what was going on I had a great opportunity to witness to him I didn't tell my dad about the the life the Christian experience that I was walking in to encourage him that this is something that is legitimate and possible I didn't um, obey what God had told me to do. You know, I disobeyed. So I, I made a lot of mistakes in the process. Yet, God showed me His faithfulness and spoke to me still. So uh, that's my goal it, for all of us is that we can be encouraged that this is something that the Lord wants for us. He wants us to walk in deep intimacy with Him. Um, there's a quote on your, on your page there under the introduction. Superficiality is the curse of our age. By Richard Foster out of this book, Celebration of Discipline. I want to tell you about some books that have helped me and encourage you to take advantage of authors who write about this topic. And Foster is a good one. This book, Celebration of Discipline, was one of the really most amazing, eye-opening books that I've read on this topic. So I, I highly recommend it, and I use a lot of his material in this class. So I want to thank and give credit to Foster and also to John Piper, who wrote this book called Desiring God. Some of you all have probably read Desiring God. How many of you guys have read this book, Desiring God? Anybody read it? You have to read this book. <laughs> this is is this is a life-changing book, Desiring God. You can it's been updated a few times. Oh, I don't have the latest version with me, but it doesn't look like this anymore, but it's still the same title. Foster has another excellent book on prayer called Prayer Finding the Heart's True Home, which um, I use some of his material too in this in the, when we get to prayer. And then of course J.I. Packer, Knowing God. This is another book you've got to have on your top ten list of, of books that you're going to read or have read or go back and reread. J.I. Packer, Knowing God. So it's a classic on this topic. And then um, Dallas Willard is an excellent author in this in this area as well. Dallas Willard, if you know him or have read any of his books, two of them here. Hearing God, Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. That's a simple title, Hearing God. And then he's also written the classic one, The Spirit of the Disciplines. Understanding How God Changes Lives. Dallas Willard. He's a, these books are not easy to read. You have to, you have to delve into them and probably read them slowly and read them, sometimes I read one page three or four times <laughs> to try to understand, you know, understand it fully. But it's well worth it. So these books are deep and, and helpful. And then, this is one you've probably never heard of, but George Otis Jr., who is a missions author, writes about lots of 
sort of global transformational things. He's excellent. He's preached at our church a couple of times. Um, but George Otis Jr. wrote this little book called God's Trademarks, which I highly recommend. Uh, how to determine whether a message, a ministry, or a strategy is truly from God. He basically goes through here and says, look, there are trademarks to when God speaks or when God is doing a movement on the earth. It has trademarks. What are they? And he lines out like seven trademarks of a true word or movement of God. So you can gauge whether the word you believe you've received or the ministry or movement that you're being asked to be a part of is really something that God is doing. Or is it just some guy or gal's idea? <laughs> okay. So, excellent little book about that. Uh, and so I pull from these guys in this, in this lesson. And uh, we're going to take a break. Um, what would be a good time for everybody to take a break? Maybe in 15 minutes or so? Okay, we'll do that. But let's, and uh, we may not get through all of this today, but we're going to just go slow and work our way through, and then y'all are on your own for the rest of the material. <laughs> but we'll get a good start on it anyway. Um, superficiality is the curse of our age. The problem with a lot of Christianity is, is that it is superficial. You know, in our lives and in the church. And when you look at church history, you realize that a lot of the problems that have occurred in global Christianity are because there was a superficial Christianity there, but it wasn't very deep. And things that are not deep, don't have deep roots, are not going to last when there's trouble. The first sign of trouble, something that's superficial, gets swept away. So what happened in, for example, North Africa in the first century? Did you know that in North Africa was the strongest center of Christianity for a long time? North Africa. That was where a lot of our wonderful theologians come from. North Africa, Alexandria, Egypt. Egypt. What happened? Because do you think about North Africa now as being where deep... A historical Christianity arose from? No. But it was there for, for, for many, many years. It was the center of Christianity, of, of Christian theological thought. Well, it never got deep. It was superficial across that culture. It may have been deep in a few lives, you know, I'm not doubting that, but it wasn't deep enough in the culture and in the church of North Africa to sustain it when Islam came through. So when Islam came through in the 7th century, Christianity was just about wiped out. You do have some remnants of it now. You have the Coptic Church, right? In Egypt. But the Coptic Church is not is not a church that is deeply embedded in the culture and changes lives throughout throughout that region. So what happened in Rwanda in 1993? Do you guys remember Rwanda, 1993? Some of y'all are probably too young <laughs> to even know what I'm talking about. But in 1993, there was an incredible genocide in Rwanda. Remember the Hutus and the Tutsis, if you remember the news at that time? Do you know what religion the Hutus and the Tutsis practiced? Any guesses? Christianity. They were Christians, the Hutus and the Tutsis. 
and they slaughtered each other. Why? Because their Christianity was superficial. They were Christian in name only. They'd had generations of conversion, right, from missionaries from years ago that did a wonderful work in Africa. My parents, my grandparents were part of that work. But unfortunately, a lot of the results of the evangelism that came to Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, in the 1800s and 1900s, ended up in a superficial Christianity, where, where people just were called Christian and attended church, but didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And so racial hatred and racial strife and ethnic you know, uh, clashes and animosity from generations over superseded their Christianity and resulted in this genocide in Rwanda. Uh, the same thing happened in Kenya more recently in 2009. Kenya is the most Christianized nation in the country, in the world. Kenya has more people who identify themselves as Christians per capita. And yet, just what, four years ago, there was incredible ethnic cleansing and killing from one tribe to another of supposed Christians. So we've got a problem with superficiality you know, in, in, Christ, in Christendom in the world today. Um, we've got a lot of people who are Christian in name only and some of their outward practices and traditions, but they're not living their lives in obedience to and communion with and relationship with God. They're following some rituals and they're, um, you know, they're attending meetings and doing things that they think are, are going to serve them you know, for the future, but, but it's not a vital Christianity. So what we need is a devotional life. What is the devotional life? Let's read this definition here. For the disciple of Jesus Christ, the devotional life is the constant pursuit of God, the hunger for more of Him, expressing itself in regular times of solitary seeking, finding, and deepening of the intimate relationship between the disciple and his or her Father God. It means it, It's the means by which we place ourselves before God so that we can know Him and He can transform us. So, there's two purposes to the devotional life. One is to know God. And the second is to be transformed by God. Okay? So, if, if you're pursuing the devotional life for any other motives or any other reasons, you're off base. If you're doing it because you want to feel better about your Christian life, well, I can tell you that the byproduct of the devotional life is a greater sense of feeling of connection with God. That is true. But if that's your motive, if that's what you're seeking, you're seeking the wrong thing. What you need to be seeking as your motive for the devotional life is to know Him, and we'll talk about what that means in a minute. I'm not talking about intellectually knowing. I'm talking about a deeper thing. But to know God and, therefore, to be transformed by Him. So the devotional life, unless it ends up in transforming you, in changing you, in you being different after the process, is, is pointless. We can just go meditate somewhere, or we can drink 
something or take something to have some kind of a feeling. Okay? But what we're, we're talking about here with the devotional life is a pressing into who God is, knowing Him, being known by Him, so that He can transform our lives and move us more and more into the character of Christ. That's the point of the Christian life, is that we become transformed into the image of Christ. So the devotional life is the, is the means by which that happens. So how, how can we know Him? Um, let's, let's look up some of these passages and then we'll, we'll take a break. Uh, somebody look up John 17, 3. We won't do them all. Let's do John 17, 3. Who's got that one? Cassie, you want to take that one? Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. <coughs> Let's do this. Julie, you want to take that one? Um, Galatians. Galatians 4, 9. Michelle, you want to do that one? And then Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Shoshana, you want to look up that one? Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And then this one's not on your list. Um, why don't you... Uh, do I have it on my list? Okay, Hosea 6, 6. Donna, would you look that one up? Hosea 6, 6. And then Geraldine, would you look up... Uh, John 4.24 These are passages that have to do with what it means to know God. Okay, has everybody gone? Let's start with the John 17.3 passage. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Okay. I mean, that is pretty basic, isn't it? <laughs> what Scripture's telling us is that knowing God is eternal life. I mean, there cannot be anything more important than knowing God. Because that is apparently, according to this verse, what eternal life is. If, if, you ask most Christians today, what is eternal life? Do you think about the definition, you, the answer you might get to that question. It probably wouldn't be this. So, very important. Okay, Jeremiah 9, 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Hmm. Again, couldn't be clearer, could it? That the, the thing that really matters is to know God. Okay, uh, Hosea 6.6. 6. I don't have it. I can't find it. Where's Hosea? Hosea. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay, 6.6. 6. Okay, yeah. Did you find it? For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. 
Yeah, wow, to a Jew, that's like a stunning statement, isn't it, from the Old Testament? After all that they've been taught about how, how you have to practice all of these things in order to please God, in order to be in right alignment and relationship with God, is all of these Old Testament law kind of things which had a purpose. But then, right there, they're being told, God doesn't really delight in that. What He really delights in is that you know me. Okay, um, John 4.24. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that, that whole account there with the woman at the well is quite amazing. George Otis that I wanted to use here. An intimate personal relationship, if we are to grant these words their due, can be experienced only like with like. This is why we will never see a human being experiencing fellowship with a water buffalo. If we fail to take advantage of the unique spirit-to-spirit channel God has set up for deep communion, He will forever remain a mystery to us. His still small voice will be drowned out by the religious hustle, the -the run-of-the-mill sermon, the good advice that was never meant for us. Not knowing the way, we will end up like the holiday maker trapped in a house of mirrors. What begins as great fun soon soon turns to frustration and eventually panic. Unable to distinguish exits from reflections, We bump into ourselves at every turn. The scenario is tragic, not only because of its ending, but because it is so common and so avoidable. God has given us everything we need for success. If we slow down and listen, if we settle back and observe, our first act should be to savor the extraordinary prospect of courting and being courted by the creator of the universe. So Otis taps into the truth of this verse that we are having a spirit-to-spirit connection with God. This isn't, you know, uh, something that we can manufacture in the physical realm. Okay, We can help it and assist it with some physical things that we do, and we'll talk about those. But ultimately, God is spirit, and if you're going to worship Him, i.e. commune with Him, enter into relationship with Him and realizing who He is, be thrown into worship, it has to happen at a spirit-to-spirit level. Um, Pierre Tillard de Chardin said, this is a quote from him, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Okay? Resonate? But we live our lives pretty much like we're human beings having a spiritual experience every now and then. Where in fact, we are spiritual beings. Because remember, we're made how? In the image of God. If we're made in the image of God, we are spiritual. Because God is spirit. So we are spiritual beings 
that have been given for a little while a physical being to inhabit. But our real life is in the spirit. And so our real communion and worship and experience of knowing God has to happen in the spirit. And that's why it's sometimes difficult for us (laughs) because we live so much in the physical. So this is why it takes training, it takes practice, it takes the disciplines of the Christian life. Okay, we're we're going to talk. Did I give somebody to Matthew seven? Yeah. Yes, Matthew seven twenty one to twenty three. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name and driven out demons in your name and done many mighty works in your name? And then I will say to them openly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who act wickedly. Wow. That's an extremely sobering passage, isn't it? Basically, that's saying there's going to be a lot of people on the last day who thought they were believers, who thought they were Christians, who are going to find out the sad truth that they aren't. And what is the what is the criteria in that passage for being someone who gets into heaven? Does the will of the Father to know them? He says, "Depart from me, I never knew you." So the criteria is that God knows them. Well, doesn't God know everybody? He created everybody, right? So he knows everybody. So that's not the kind of knowing that is talking about there, right? Or everybody would be in heaven. It's talking about a different knowing. It's talking about the knowing of a relationship of people who are in communion with one another. And it's interesting that it says, if that's happening, you're doing the will of the Father. So there are ways to gauge that that's going on in your life. Are you obeying? Are you following His footsteps, his way. Are you spending time with him? Okay, I want to look at one last passage that I I don't think I gave anybody Galatians, did I? Oh, I did. Okay, but it lets everybody take a look at this one. Galatians 4, verse 9. Give you a chance to get there. Galatians 4, Now, remember the context of Galatians is that Paul is writing to this church in Galatia and he's rebuking them basically because many of them have fallen back to following the Old Testament law, thinking that it was still required, still needful for them as believers to to somehow still keep keep the laws of Judaism. And so he's trying to get them to realize that that's not the case. And they're also... um, Following, some of them are following Gnosticism, which is sort of this, you know, eth- uh, ethereal, higher level knowledge that you somehow have to try to attain to, in order to be in with God. And um, so he's trying to correct some of these fallacies that are springing up in the early church. Um, and so that's the context of what he's writing about in chapter four. Um, so, yeah, go ahead and read verse 9. But now, after you have known God, or 
rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Okay. Now, this passage, I have read this passage. I've read Galatians several times. I've read this passage in Galatians many times, this verse. It never struck me until I was actually... Uh, it was in that process that I was telling you about of seeking God and really trying to understand what it meant to really walk in intimacy with Him. I read Galatians 9 and it completely blew me away because of what it says about what it means to know God. But now that you have come to know God, and then he says, he kind of puts a parenthesis in there, he says, oh, or rather to be known by God. In other words, how is Paul defining what it really means to know God? What's his definition there in this verse of, of knowing God? That God knows you. That God knows you. Or rather, he says, rather meaning, let me even give what I'm really talking about when I'm saying to, to know, you say you know God, to be known by God. What does that mean? Any thoughts? How does that strike you? That the definition of knowing God is to be known by God. Nothing you say can be wrong right now, okay? I just want to hear what's going through your brain <laughs> when you think about that concept. Do you see that in the verse, though? That's what Paul's saying. So what does that mean? How can being known by God be what Paul's really getting at as what it means to know God? Relationship. Okay. Knowing each other, I would think him knowing me is you're intimately, they, he knows the struggle where I go wrong, right, and I know him through devotion and Mm -hmm. So something inseparable. Yeah. Commitment. Right. Right. Any other thoughts? I like think about the friends that I'm closest to, and they're the ones that I share my life with the most, and share mm -hmm. most about how I feel about things. And um, so I think, like, kind of similar, where it's like sometimes I don't always share all of my life with God, and that's when I feel like I don't know Him as well when I'm not when I just go to Him for like the bare minimum, and when I'm mm -hmm. sharing everything with him, that's when I feel closest to him. Mm -hmm. And in that context, it's as though you're not letting him, even though he knows what's going on, like those friends, they're not you're not letting them know what's going on, kind of in that same sense, you're not letting him know by sharing that with him. Mm -hmm. So the sense that, yes, he does know, because I share that, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys are are understanding this. They're, what Paul is getting at is that knowing God is not just us figuring Him out. okay? Or almost like what we talked about earlier, the list, right? You just go to God and you have a list. Or that that's what, God, that's what my relationship with God is about. Well, I know He's great and I know He can do everything and I know He loves me, so therefore, Lord, please, da-da-da. That's not what knowing God is, right? That He's trying to get them to understand that knowing God is, is Him knowing us. That means there's got to be some interaction and relationship. And 
you are opening yourself up to God. You can, if you think knowing God is about sort of God as a project and I'm going to get to know Him and figure Him out and I'm going to study Him. And we got all kinds of books written about you know, how to study God. We even call it something, right? Theology. Going to study God. That is not knowing God. You can study all about Him and you can get all kinds of head knowledge and you can learn all kinds of things, even right things, even true things, but you, then, but you never have a relationship with Him where He knows you where you've opened yourself up to him, which is, you know, when you think about it, it's kind of silly, right? Because if he knows you, why wouldn't you open yourself up to him? What are you hiding? He knows it. So you might as well, right? You might as well talk about all that stuff because he knows it. So it's an opening up of yourself to him, to be known by him. It, it, it indicates a relationship that's a back and forth. So it's knowing God, the discipline, the devotional life is not that we study God as a project, that we try to figure out Him and then say, well, I know God. It's, it's a way in which we open ourselves up to Him in relationship and not hide ourselves from Him. Uh, in fact, it's interesting to me that the original sin resulted in what very first action by humanity? Mm -hmm. Hiding. Right? When Adam sinned, the very first thing he did was to hide. And then they also, that kind of led to then covering. So there's, that's what sin has done, is it's caused us to hide from God. And what God is trying to get us around to is the restoration of relationship that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden where there was no hiding. Remember, God walked with them and communed with them and they with Him and they walked as friends in the Garden. And when sin entered the picture, man hid. And that's what we've been doing ever since. We hide from God. And then we kind of go, you know, well, I want to get to know Him but we're not vested fully in this relationship because we're still hiding. And that's what Paul's getting at in this passage. It's to be known by Him. And that's why God says on that day, the ones who don't get into heaven are the ones He never knew. That never entered into that relationship with Him. They did things in His name. They knew about Him. They knew about His power. They knew how He worked. They knew how to get things done but they did not open themselves up to him and have a relationship with him where they walked together and talked together. Pretty sobering. Okay.